All right, hello and welcome to the Andrew King podcast. Actually, it's just uh, it's just Andrew King podcast. I took out the the, so it's uh, just yes. welcome to Andrew King podcast. It's like Facebook. I took out the the, so there we go. Uh, welcome Marley and Leah. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about sleep. This is something that I think uh, a lot of people could use some more information on uh, stressful times and uh, just trying to get as much sleep as possible and highest quality. Uh, sleep as possible. Um, so I guess I just wanted to start by asking you, uh, maybe start with Marley, how did you actually get into the whole sleep field? Like, was there a specific thing that drew you to it? And how did you to end up uh, working together and parting together? Well, good question. So it was a bit of a convoluted um, path to get here. But I am uh, a registered respiratory therapist by trade. So um, I went through the typical schooling as, a, as an RT, you know, did ventilation and, and worked in eMERGE and ICU. Um, and really through that, not recognizing that, oh, I'm going to school for this job and not recognizing that there would be shift work involved. I hadn't really prepared for that. And when I started doing the job, recognized, oh, this is not going to be something I can do forever. I felt super unsafe on night shift. I was like, how, you know, we're doing critical um, procedures as RTs and I'm not thinking straight. So is this, this seems dangerous to me. I wasn't feeling well most of the time. So I knew there was a, a you know, a short life expectancy for this career. There wasn't a lot of talk about sleep or anything like that, but I did get to do a rotation through a sleep lab, um, which I'd never even really heard of before. And we never learned much about sleep in school other than a little bit on sleep apnea. Went to a sleep lab, thought that was pretty interesting. Um, you know, ironically at a sleep lab, the RTs don't stay up all night. They don't work all night uh, for the most part. Some of them do as techs, but I got a day job working in a sleep clinic. So uh, I moved across the country, took that job out here in Nova Scotia. And that is really when I started to absolutely become obsessed with sleep. So I just fell in love with it. I got to see people's lives get better. They heal all the magic of, of what I believe sleep is. And um, I, Lee and I have been best friends since university a long time. Yeah, we're, like, <laughs> we're going on like, um, not to reveal too much, but like we're like into our 15th year or something like that of friendship. Yeah. And I, I personally am a, a lifelong terrible sleeper. And, and Andrew, we've talked a little bit about this before, but I, from the time I was, you know, as, mar as long as I can remember, um, and my mother would tell you the same, all of her friends said I tortured her as a child because I was such a terrible sleeper. I, you know, I would be up late. I try even not to disturb my parents by like staying in my room. But I mean, midnight was not abnormal for me to be going to bed as a, as a really young kid. Um, and then I would just be, you know, not, I would be toast in the morning, sleeping on the bus, sleeping every time I was in the car, anytime in class, trying, fighting to stay awake. Um, so Marley was well aware of, you know, my issues with sleep. We lived together in our final year of university and my sleep schedule looked something like 3 a.m. to noon or like <laughs> 4 a.m. to noon. That was kind of where I lived. So she was well aware of the issues. And, and then I became a nurse um, and started doing shift work and that was great for me. I'm great at staying up all night. It's perfect, but I'm not great at 
prioritizing sleep. So things really got out of hand um, with my managing of my sleep. And this was around the same time that Marley was really getting into her sleep obsession and like starting to plant these little seeds of like, "Mm, you know, maybe you should try this or like, you know, you need to get more sleep and, and, you know, some life changes happened and we actually ended up living together again um, when we were 30 (laughs) and she was working at the sleep clinic there and watching me struggle my way through through shift work and she started sort of planting these I mean always she'd come home from work like oh my gosh you should have this is the most amazing thing happened and like oh my gosh this person was so sick when they came to see us and like their whole life has changed like this person's memory is you know is back is working this person's vision improved from improving their sleep like all of these crazy stories um from her job and I'm thinking like people think sleep is a really boring job. And I'm like, well, I guess I just don't need that much sleep. I just thought that that was, you know, that was normal, you know, four to six hours of sleep. I started infiltrating Leah's brain and asking her to do like little behavioral changes and just, you know, just try this, you know, put on your sunglasses after your night shift and just see if you have a better sleep during the day. Experiments with her, but she saw the value. And even prior to to that, Leah and I collaborated. She was working in a different province and we collaborate on our clients because she had clients in the hospital that were struggling with their sleep. And there's really no zero resources in the hospital other than a sleeping pill to help you sleep. um, so we would c- collaborate on patients. So even though you weren't taking care of your own sleep, you That's missed true. for it. You were getting people, some of my patients, you know, who are trying to heal after surgery, we were like collaborating across provinces to get them on CPAP therapy to like get their sleep improved and like trying to get masks for them. And yeah, so, I mean, it started years before that, but as we started to learn more, um, And sleep is really like a really new field of study in medicine, which is the crazy thing, you know. So when this all started, you know, when we started talking about this, a lot of the research that was available, you know, even five to seven years ago was so minimal. And it's exploded in the last, you know, five years where, you know, new research is coming out almost daily at this point and like really good studies, really significant results. Um, so that just really got us excited. So when we were living together, we were going to the library and printing off articles and just going full nerd, um, full sleep nerd. And I just became, I fell in love with it then because I was seeing in my patients, you know, their struggles and seeing like the other side of it through Marley's clinic and sort of seeing like, there's nobody to guide people through the healthcare system when it comes to sleep. And, you know, it's, we spend a third of our life sleeping or we should be, you know, <laughs> if you were me years ago, maybe not so much a third of your life, but we should be spending about a third of our life sleeping. And we know almost nothing about that, including, you know, the top tier of our healthcare system, our doctors, our nurses, our, you know, all the people who are taking care of our health are not really truly even educated on sleep. Um, most doctors receive, you know, two hours or less uh, um, education in their whole years and years and years of training. So um, we really just saw a hole there as far as like education goes, as far as understanding what sleep actually is. Because once you understand it and once you know how important it is, you can't unknow that. That was my problem. And then I had to, then I had to go, oh, I, I need to make some changes here. I know what's happening. Yeah. Uh, and so we, 
we started a podcast originally just to get that information out. Um, and then that turned into us doing talks for different companies. And it was just Leah and I, it wasn't a, it wasn't a business. We were just kind of pedaling around the province and to, you know, the Maritimes in general and, and giving people this information. So we, you know, go to town hall meetings and um, different organizations that had health weeks and just trying to get this information out there. Um, and then that was really when we discovered oh, this this could be our full-time gig. This could be a job that we we can do. There's not a lot of people out there unless you're walking in through a sleep clinic. You're not getting this information from anyone else. And you know, if you have a sleep trouble, you're going to go to your doctor. Your family doctor is going to say take a pill or yeah. work on your sleep habits. They're not going to yeah. guide you. So we found that we we had an opportunity to help people in a in an area that's kind of um, like Leah said. It's it's a hole in our system um, yeah. and we went for it. <laughs> right, so it's it's so weird to think about that because sleep is something that everybody does. Everybody yep. has to do, everybody on the planet, every living human has to sleep. Mm -hmm. uh, it's something that everybody, if they improve their sleep, that would definitely improve their mental performance throughout the day, Absolutely. their physical recovery, everything. So better sleep has the ability to help every person on earth how is it possible that this is basically a niche industry considering that we spend a third of our life doing it and and everything like that and then uh the people who are guiding us or quote unquote guiding us through better sleep are just giving us pills and essentially the entire sleep industry quote unquote is mattresses pills and these band-aid solutions like yeah I, I guess i don't know how we got here but um where do we go from here <laughs> Good question. <laughs> I think, you know, I think a lot of, you know, where where this issue has come from, and I mean, it has exploded. Insomnia and difficulty sleeping has really exploded during the pandemic. Um, and I think the uncertainty and anxiety around it and just the upheaval in every area of our lives makes sense. But there's also, there was a massive um, technology boost, you know, over about probably 30 years, you know, in our lifetime, really. Um, you know, when I was a kid, I still remember there was a very few channels that remained on overnight. You know, everything has moved toward this 24-hour society and we haven't adjusted yet. We're biologically still meant to sleep when the sun is down and be awake when the sun is up. Um, we can't, you know, we can't push through that natural, that, you know, our body's biological rhythm, but we are constantly fighting against it, um, you know, with TV and our phones and 24-hour access, 24-hour coffee, you know, why, why is, you know, a coffee place open 24 hours a day, you know, shift work has, has boomed. We're doing shift work in grocery stores and convenience stores now, instead of just in healthcare fields where it's really required. So I think, you know, the issues that we have around sleep, really, it, it was almost a non-issue before. You know, 30 years ago, there were so few people struggling with chronic insomnia. And if they did, you know, they might get a sleeping pill if there was one. But it wasn't something you talked about. You know, it was assumed at night we're sleeping. And, you know, and, and I think that's just where everything got off track. So now we have this opportunity yeah, you're right. It is a niche industry, but it's almost a non-existent industry um, because for so many years, it was just not thought about. And it is just... The lack of value on sleep. I mean, it started really with um, the invention of the light bulb. <laughs> yeah. 
and you know industrial revolution and things like that it, we valued work time over sleep time and unfortunately that's just carried through and we see work and sleep or anything else as competing priorities with our sleep but like leah said we can't cheat our biology without consequences um but yeah the light bulb i mean that made us stay awake a lot longer than when the sun is up so that changed a lot for people and prior to that there wasn't a lot of recorded sleep problems because we kind of slept with the natural rhythm of the sun up and sun down and and things like that um but as the the, the artificial light and now we have these screens with artificial light that we put right up to our noses that is really impacting our sleep and we've seen this you know this crisis of sleep deprivation what actually the world health organization says it's a, a, a an epidemic really? uh, we've just yeah, seen it classified as an epidemic wow. now I, I like i like that you brought up light and uh just getting back to the the way we should naturally live as it pertains to light and sleep uh so i mean one thing that i do that i think i, I get criticized for whatever is i wear blue light blocking glasses in the evening and Maybe I get criticized for them because they look like this. They're for people They're listening good. on audio. <laughs> yes. And they even broke uh, a little bit, so I duct taped them together. <laughs> but they have, um, they block even the peripheral vision. Yeah. So for people listening on audio, I'm holding up these basically like protective eyewear for it's like uh, construction glasses with yeah. an orange hue. Yeah. And, and, yeah. you know, they, they block all of the spectrum of blue light and the invention or the invention of the light bulb was like, was our first issue, but that was still an incandescent orange hue. Now yeah. all of this artificial light that we have is bright white light, which mimics the sunlight. And that's where the disruption to our sleep has actually you know, tenfold increased because we have that bright light, even from our household light bulbs um, right. is a whiter hue of light. Now our TV screens are all very much blue spectrum lighting. So yeah, I mean, you're, you're doing yourself a world of good by, by prioritizing, you know, blocking that out in the evening, but Leah also wears those glasses yeah. home from night shift. So if <laughs> anybody is ever seeing someone walk home at seven o'clock in the morning with these orange safety glasses nice. in, in scrubs, it's Leah. <laughs> you have those ones? You have you have those Not ones? Exactly. I want those ones though. Okay. I like I like look the ones I have look like um the ones that like um old you get after laser eye surgery. surgery. Oh really? Yeah, but they're wow. the orange tinge and they wrap all the way around. And those are really the best ones that you can get. And often people are getting blue light blocking glasses with the clear lenses um, because of headaches or, you know, protecting their eyes. We're not even often thinking, you know, blue light blocking glasses are for your sleep, but yeah. they okay. do actually have a huge impact on our sleep um, right. because of the blue light is so disruptive to our natural melatonin production. Right. So, so I think maybe there's so many different ways I could go with this. I mean, even, even just as a fun note, listening to you, Leah, um, talk about the challenges you've had, remind me so much of myself because yeah. I used to, and if, if my mom's listening to this, she's going to laugh because <laughs> in high school, I used to fall asleep in the shower. I would fall asleep <laughs> yeah. in the bathtub. I would lay down in the bathtub and fall asleep with the water hitting me. And I would wake up to the sound of somebody banging on the door. Wow. <laughs> like yeah. you're using all the hot water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean and yeah. you know my story was similar to yours and I and we, you know we talked a little bit about that but like my childhood was just terrible. Um I I just couldn't get myself to wind down and that was 
pre all of these distractions, pre ex- excessive blue light. Um, and there's a condition or, um, you know, a genetic condition called uh, delayed sleep phase syndrome. And I think you're familiar with that, that concept as well, Andrew, um, which was something, you know, once Marley really dove headfirst into her sleep obsession and realized that she was like, oh my gosh, Leah, you have delayed sleep phase syndrome. It's true delayed delayed sleep phase syndrome because it started so young. Um, mm. We often see a, a delay in our sleep phase, so that natural, you know, tiredness that happens in the evening, and and you're sleeping through the night, waking early in the morning. We see a little delay in teenage years, so it's normal. We always think, oh, God, teenagers are so lazy; they don't want to, they never want to go to bed, they never want to wake up, they're tired all the time. Well, they have a natural shift in their in their sleep phase that makes them not be tired until much later and they want to sleep in later. Um, And when for some people, there's that genetic condition where it actually is just sort of a part of your brain and it requires some work to manage it. And, you know, that's why for people who have this condition, you know, like, you know, you wear those glasses to protect yourself from light in the evening because you're extra susceptible to, you know, wanting to push your bedtime much later. You know, for me naturally to get sleepy, it might not be until midnight. Um, sure. Whereas other people by 10, 9 or 10 p.m., they're starting to, you know, lull. Marley Marley would laugh all the time because she would get ready for bed. It was 9 p.m. and I'd be making a full turkey dinner for the yeah, next Yeah, exactly. Yeah, That's yeah, my yeah. productive time. Like I am at my best, you know, from 7 to midnight. Like I'm the most, I can be the most productive. For um, sure. True yeah. night owls. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, actually, uh, so I, I wanted to dive into what are the, what are the main overarching challenges that we have working against us as modern humans on a day-to-day basis. But maybe I'll put a pin in that just for a second. And since we're on the night owl thing, um, I think it's important for people to understand this. So uh, so Marley, we, we had a one-on-one chat a little while ago. And one of the things that you told me was, you know, you, you just have a specific sleep chronotype that means that you're just not a morning person. Because I was really beating yeah. myself up about the fact that I have a really tough time with mornings and I was having a hard time becoming a morning person. Yeah. And and perhaps it perhaps it's because culturally people who are morning people tend to really shame non-morning people. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it's I like, feel look, that. yeah. Yep. It's like, look, if you're not getting up early, you're just not trying hard enough, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's you're easy lazy. to say when you have when you're a morning person, naturally. Absolutely. So it helped me out a lot, Marley, to hear you tell me on that call. It's like, look. You know, I speaking as you know, I Marley have done a lot of research on sleep, and I can tell you that just because you're not a morning person doesn't mean you're lazy. It doesn't mean you're whatever. There's a just there's a science a- aspect to this, and so I'd love to hear you, Marley, j- touch on that a little bit about people with different chronotypes having trouble with mornings and falling asleep and things like that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, you're a hundred percent right that. You know, people that do have this delayed sleep phase or tend to be natural night owls have a chronotype that makes them go to bed later and wake up later. They have this stigma that they're lazy. You know, we hear all this stuff, you know, rise and grind and the 5 a.m. club and all of these things that are supposed to, you know, equal success. Um, But that's there is a biological reason that we that you might be waking up later. You know, delayed sleep phase is is genetic. It's it's something that's you can't change. You can influence your chronotypes to make it easier, you know, to comply with the nine to five typical jobs and things like that. But just 
your prefrontal cortex is not going to be awake when you at that time. Yeah, you can get um, yourself out of bed, but you're not going to be present. That's like me for the first 12, you know, for my entire education career, I was not awake for the first four hours. Oh, me either. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, I, I mean, the stigma is really funny because I am the, I'm a morning person, kind of later morning person, but I'm still a morning person. I am useless past 10 p.m. <laughs> Like, okay. I mean, useless. Um, so, and I know I have to go to bed. And then there's someone like yourself or Leah that can be super productive at that time. So it's just about timing your your productivity. So to not comply with this nine to five has to fit into this this schedule that everybody else is to really just um, use your own personal chronotype to improve your own productivity. So if your best time is in the evening, use that time. Um, if you have the if you, you know, if your job allows, a lot of people don't have um, the flexibility of their jobs. And if you don't, there are things you can do to influence your chronotype to make it easier to get out of bed in the morning. But the second that you stop doing those things, your body is going to naturally go right back to that night owl time because that is biologically what you're predisposed to. Mm -hmm. right, so, right. you know, getting bright light first thing in the morning when you, as soon as you wake up, that can be super beneficial. Probably the strongest thing that you can do to influence your, your circadian rhythm a little earlier would be to get lots of bright light first thing in the morning. But it is a, it is a biological predisposition and there, you know, it's not something, it's not a personality trait that, oh, you're lazy or you like to sleep in. It's, it's actually, um, there's science behind it. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's some people that wake up at 5 a.m. and they want to go to bed at you know, 9 p.m. So <laughs> it's but it's just our general society is sort of built on morning people. Right. So there is a shame aspect to it. And, you know, I was always kind of considered, oh, it's like Leah sleeps in really late. You know, yeah, there is a lazy stigma to it. And it almost becomes like a bit of your identity. And it becomes like this sort of negative identity about yourself. It's like you said, you struggled with it and you beat yourself up about it because you do feel that stigma um and you know it doesn't there isn't a lot of flexibility with traditional work you know work hours um i'm hoping that Until the pandemic has actually changed a little bit of that and you exactly. know we've yeah. seen people be able to work from home and work on their own schedule a little bit more and how much it's improved people's quality of life and how much it's improved, you know, people's job satisfaction. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, after we kind of trudge through this and things sort of regulate to a new normal, um, it'll be interesting to see how much of that old mentality of nine to five, eight to four morning productivity, you know, that rigid structure of the, the day will look. There's already studies to show that um, by allowing employees to work within their natural chronotype, so what works for them, increases productivity for the whole organization. So hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll drop some of these old school ideas and, and follow the science. I mean, it could be years because as a society, we are a little slow to follow the science. But if, if we can, um, you know, there's already research to show that by allowing your employees to do that, you are um, fostering a more productive environment. Yeah. And yeah. I think the great the great thing is, you know, when you do understand and know your chronotype and there's tons of different, you know, quizzes that you can do. We do have like an official one that we do um, with clients sometimes um, to give you that, you know, what are you? Where do you fit in? Are you an early morning or later morning a night owl? And it actually identifies times during the day that you'll be your most productive times that will be um 
better suited for creative, you know, creative um, activities or when you want to be most creative. So for a night owl, that looks totally different than an early bird. So it's actually really interesting and can be really helpful to, you know, especially to people like us who are those night owls and you just sort of beat yourself up and instead of using your time a little bit more effectively, once you understand it, it becomes a tool. Absolutely. One of the things that uh, really helped me because for any of us to make any sort of behavioral change, I think it's important to not only understand why, but be convinced that it's important to do that. Yeah. So for me, one of the things that I didn't know before uh, I, I spoke with Marley was in the last couple hours of sleep, that's when your body's doing a lot of healing. So at least unless I misinterpreted that. Uh, so, so for me, that helped me understand that, okay, if I'm trying to jolt myself awake all the time, I'm really messing up what I, I didn't think that the last bit of sleep was as important as like the middle part. So, so for people that are really messing up their last few hours of sleep, like how, how, what should they know about how important is that last phase of sleep? Oh, I love that you brought this up because I am so against the snooze button. Yeah. <laughs> if I could remove every snooze button from every alarm clock, that would be a win. But you're absolutely right. So we actually get at the beginning oh, of here? the night. Yes. yes. I have this one, Andrew. The Ikea, the Ikea. The Ikea for people yeah. on audio, I'm holding up uh, this, this obnoxious alarm clock right now. <laughs> It is the most obnoxious alarm clock. It sounds will... like a fire alarm. It is terrifying <laughs> for people who are snoozers. <laughs> oh, perfect! And your bright light. <laughs> all the tools. Fully equipped as a as a night owl to to yeah. wake yourself up. Um, so so our, our actually at the beginning of the night is when we get our most deep sleep, and at the okay. end of the night, our first thing in the morning is we get our most REM sleep. Okay. And those are both super, super important. So deep sleep at the beginning of the night is when, you know, our human growth hormone is released and our body goes through that cellular repair. And then a REM sleep that happens closer to the morning, we actually get our longest stage of REM sleep right before we wake up in the morning on our last sleep cycle. So, you know, if you've ever noticed that you might be dreaming right before you wake up in the morning, that's because we're in REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep. And that sleep is responsible for things like consolidating our memory, our mood. <laughs> That's a big one. Um, yeah. You know, even things like our speech and, you know, speaking and things like that um, can all be so strongly affected by disrupting that last stage of REM. We often think, oh, I'm getting up to work out at 5 a.m. and I'll just, you know, and we cut off that whole last stage of REM. And, you know, we wonder, you know, why wasn't that? workout that effective or why am I still cranky at three o'clock? Um, but if we're missing out on that whole longest last stage of REM sleep, that is absolutely critical for survival. So every mammal on earth absolutely needs REM, REM sleep. We don't even know all the reasons yet why, um, but every mammal goes into REM sleep and our human brain, if we're sleep deprived, will even prioritize getting REM sleep if we're sleep deprived because we know we need it. Mm -hmm. So it's super critical and we get it first thing in the morning and we often disrupt it with snooze buttons and, you know, waking up too early and things like that. But that last hour of sleep is so critical to our functioning throughout the day. And we don't even, we have no value on it. <laughs> you know, yeah. we can hit, I've had several clients who are like, I hit the snooze button for two hours in the morning. I'm like, you're sleeping for 10 minute increments, yeah. um, which doesn't allow I, for 
Because I used to do that. I used to do that consistently. I would purposely set my alarm an hour early so I could snooze for an hour because it felt like it was what I wanted to do. I don't know why. And there is research to show that those who do, individuals who do hit the snooze button more than one time in the morning, it does impact their mood, um, their productivity that day, and and just generally how, like their sense of well-being. Oh, yeah. I can definitely feel it now. I mean, when I get a poor uh, night's sleep, for me, it's it's this um, sleep mask that you told me about that I have here. Yeah. Uh, from Amazon. <laughs> yeah. So you got it. Yeah. So um, right now I'm holding up this sleep mask. It's a blackout mask. And I can tell now uh, if I sleep with this on the whole night versus in the middle of the night, let's say if I take it off just in my sleep and I wake up without it on, I can actually tell the yeah. difference in my sleep quality unless I'm like placeboing myself or something. No, you're, you're absolutely right. <laughs> you're right. Um, light is such a strong disruptor of our sleep. A lot of people don't realize that even little lights from electronics or a little bit of light peeking in through, you know, around your, even around the blackout curtains can actually cause sleep disruption. I usually tell people, remember our eyelids are not blackout curtains. They're sure, like yeah. through them, right? So even yeah. with our eyeballs closed or our eyelids closed, our eyeballs can still absorb light. And not that you'll necessarily even be aware that your sleep is more fragmented, but if you will notice a different in the difference in the quality of your sleep for yeah, sure. Yeah, when you really start paying attention to how you feel. And I think that's probably what happened with you after your consult with Marley, Andrew, was like you start to pay attention to how you are actually feeling and sort of listening to your body a little bit more about, you know, what you needed and I noticed that too. I'm way more sensitive to sleep deprivation now than I ever have been because I I know what it feels like to be rested now. And I'm still working shift work um, part-time. So I can never quite be perfect because I'm always still going to have those overnights. Um, but I manage them completely different now. I'm, I, you know, I'm prioritizing hitting that minimum seven hours in between my night shifts or after my night shifts. And so when I don't, I'm a different person. It's like you said, you know, if you take that mask off and, and that affects the quality of your sleep, you know, you feel it now. You can, you feel the difference in your function. For me, it's very much in my mental health. It's in my anxiety and, you know, that sort of dread and doom feeling and that, you know, I, I'm harder on myself and I'm, you know, my relationships feel more strained. Like everything feels harder with sleep deprivation. And I spent, you know, the first 30 years of my life almost sort of living in that space and adjusted to it. So most people are just adjusted to their, you know, the status quo. So they haven't really explored it. You know, am I, you know, could I be getting better sleep? Um, you know, do I need to improve my sleep? Well, I close my eyes every night and I wake up and I carry on. So I guess I'm doing fine. Um, but a lot of people don't even actually know that seven to nine hours is the range where they should, they, that they should be shooting for. And you use a lot of tools, Andrew, but that eye mask is such a simple, inexpensive yeah. way for most people to improve their sleep. Right, right. Uh, it, it is such an, you know, everyone wants to go with blackout curtains, which are fantastic. Yeah. But even for someone like yourself that may have delayed sleep phase, you know, you might sleep past sunrise in the morning or a shift worker like Leah that has to sleep during the daytime. There's no simpler, better tool than just a blackout eye mask. Oh, Absolutely. So, 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 so when it comes to, okay, so just for the average person. So if we look at from the moment, let's say they wake up, they go about their day, everything they do, uh, they work, you know, maybe exercise, 
eat their meals, and then they're home for the night. They have the lights on in their house, watch Netflix or whatever, uh, eat dinner, and then go to bed. And that whole cycle, what would you say are the main, I know that's a lot, but what are the main challenges and the, and also the main things that anybody can try to do to, to improve that whole 24-hour cycle? So I always say that our good night's sleep starts with the first thing that you do in the morning. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so within the first 30 minutes or so of waking up, our eyeballs are very receptive to taking in sunshine. Now, here in Atlantic Canada and other parts of Canada, we don't get a lot of sunshine this time of year, first thing in the morning. So we can use artificial light, lights and lamps, things that are used for like seasonal affective disorder. Those bright lights can actually mimic the sun and give us that same effect. So 20 minutes, 10 to 20 minutes in the sunshine when you first wake up, whether it's, you know, drinking your coffee outside or taking the dog for a walk as soon as you wake up, but not wearing sunglasses. That actually, um, the light comes in through the top of our eyeballs, that signal goes into our brain, a little timekeeper that we have in our brain, and it says, it's morning, 16 hours from now, go to sleep. So it really helps align that circadian rhythm, that biological clock that's in our bodies that um, control the rhythms of a lot of things other than sleep, but sleep is definitely one of them. So I would say first thing in the morning, get as much bright light and sunshine as you can. Um, if you're already you know, getting up to walk the dog, take off the sunglasses to make it an easy behavioral change. Yeah. And the next thing I would say that a lot of people struggle with is limiting caffeine throughout the day. Yeah. We are a overly caffeinated society. <laughs> yeah, as as Andrew take takes a drink of his tea. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So caffeine is, uh, you know, our, I think our most commonly used drug right now in the world. Um, it's very acceptable, all those things. But we don't realize generally how long caffeine stays in our system. So um, I, I usually tell people, you know, cut, we all have different metabolic rates for, for caffeine. Like some people will metabolize it faster or slower, but generally it's somewhere between four and six hours for a half life. So I usually tell people to cut it off by, you know, noon if you're having trouble sleeping. If you're not very caffeine sensitive, two o'clock is the latest you should be consuming caffeine. Because when you think about it, if your half life is six hours and you, you know, even stop at noon by 6 p.m., you still have about half that same cup of coffee in your system. And that's if you've had one cup of coffee. Aside from that, the other issue with caffeine is that our coffees are huge. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. caffeine. It's, not a, it's not a serving anymore. There's no, uh, that's gone. A venti is like two and a half cups of coffee, I think. So if you're like, oh, I only have one cup a day or one coffee a day, if it's a venti or an extra large, yeah. you could be consuming, you know, up to 400 milligrams of caffeine. So I think that it's being mindful of, of your caffeine intake is a big big one that we see, especially like working population and things like that. We use caffeine to get through the day. <laughs> a lot of us. Yeah, and then society. We often see this bad cycle with caffeine. So somebody doesn't sleep well, they're working really late, they get up the next day, they're exhausted, they have a bunch of caffeine to keep them going through the day. They take, they're drinking it late, and maybe you can even fall asleep at a regular hour when you're consuming caffeine. But even if you can fall asleep, it doesn't mean the effects of caffeine aren't disrupting your sleep. So caffeine actually delays our deep sleep. Um, it, it really interacts with the architecture of our sleep stages. So you don't get a good night's sleep, and then you wake up the next day tired again, so then you know, maybe you did sleep eight hours, but the quality of your sleep, similar to you taking off your mask and that light affecting the sleep quality, caffeine affects our sleep quality. So then we don't feel as good. So then you're drinking more caffeine and, you know, more caffeine and sleeping, you know, the quality gets worse and worse. And that can 
tumble roll into a, you know, a really out of control situation fast. Absolutely. A bit of exercise, I mean, is good for everyone. I think we're all a little bit more sedentary than we should be. But science shows that even as little as 10 minutes of aerobic exercise a day can help improve your sleep. So we always say, you know, at least a half an hour is obviously better. But 10 minutes is less daunting if you're not a person that exercises to say, okay, if you can go for a 10 minute walk outside today, you'll probably sleep better tonight. Um, That, you know, that's a pretty minor change to make. It seems a little less daunting than signing someone up for like a gym membership. (laughs) So a little bit of exercise can be really beneficial and not too close to bedtime because that can increase our core body temperature that can delay us from falling asleep. And then the next obstacle that we see is the house, the lighting in the homes, you know, like we already talked about the big white lights, all of our lights have changed from those old kind of orangey incandescent light bulbs to bright white LED lights and, and you know, it's very bright. Um, and that actually is, is not normal for the human body, really, we're not completely evolved to that. So it is impacting our melatonin production. So melatonin is our hormone of darkness, it's called. So it's only produced (laughs) in complete darkness. And when we're, you know, we've seen this explosion of melatonin supplements in the market, I think that it has gone up like 70% since the pandemic and things like that. And we all produce our own natural melatonin, we just need to be exposed to more darkness. We're kind of in this like, over in like inundated with all these lights and screens and and artificial lights so um, we don't need to take supplements for melatonin our brain will naturally produce it we just need to be exposed to complete darkness so in the evening as things are winding down we really need to start dimming the lights in our homes um, and being aware of the light that is coming in through our eyes that can disrupt our sleep and then taking technology to bed I would say is the biggest one. Okay. <laughs> and you think try fall asleep. Try romantic lighting. Candles are great. Just don't sure. fall asleep with the candles lit. But that's a no, great no. hue of light. That sort of orange dim hue is really wonderful. And it has that romantic aspect to it. <laughs> but I think another really important one, Andrew, and we'd be kind of doing a disservice to not talk about a bedtime routine, even okay. though it is so, you know, we say it and people are like, okay, yeah, you know, I do that for my kids, whatever. And for some reason, we really prioritize that for babies and young, young children. And then as we get older, it sort of like falls by the wayside. And we switch to these really elaborate morning routines of, you know, shower and coffee and, you know, wake to wake ourselves up. But we live in like a pretty extremely stressful world, especially right now. So, you know, you go, 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 go all day and you're caffeinating and you're stressed and you're getting here and there. And maybe you have children, you're driving them to appointments and you're making your own appointments and you're getting to work and we get home and we make supper and we do all of these things and whatever. And then we just lay our head down the pillow and we're trying to go to sleep and your brain's still going a mile a minute. So it's so crucial for us to have a break a break off between our busy day and bed. And we've really lost that as a society as an important part of our day. And that's because what Marley mentioned before, you know, work and sleep are these opposing priorities. And we think, you know, where do we steal time from when we need more time in our day? We steal it from sleep because yeah. we we see that as dispensable time that's not important. Um, but as this research is coming out, we're understanding more that it is really important. It's extremely important to our daily function. So in order to make sure that we're getting enough sleep, we really need to create a little bridge, even if it's as simple as 10 or 15 minutes 
um, ideally, you know, 30 minutes to an hour of wind down. And that could include, you know, a shower, dimming the lights, you know, an herbal caffeine-free tea, um, something to sort of slow things down, turn off the electronics, maybe listen to a little bit of calming music, um, you know, do some stretching or yoga, a little foam rolling, anything like that to kind of take yourself out of your mind and sort of into your body and relax. That is so key to, to people being able to improve their sleep. And I think it gets overlooked as sort of like, yeah, I don't need to do that. That's not for me, um, but it's for everyone. It's not just for, you know, for our babies. It's for everyone. And it's extremely important. Or a lot of people believe that playing a couple games on their phone or scrolling Instagram for an hour before sleep is their bedtime routine. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I've had lots of conversations with people about is, is your phone actually helping you fall asleep? I've had so many clients, I need to play this game to fall asleep. I need to do this. It helps me like shut my brain off. There's tons and tons of research, research to show how stimulating those, those things are. Um, and not to mention the blue light that we're taking in right before we go to sleep, which is going to you know delay that melatonin. It's going to push our deep sleep. So we're not going to get the good, a good night's sleep that we could if we would have put the phone away. Now, Leah, I know that you've, uh, you had a personal experience with this because Leah used to play a game on her phone before she'd go to bed. Okay. And one day I just challenged her. I said, Leah, just for a week, just don't put your phone, don't take your phone to bed and see how you feel. I literally plugged it in, in like the living room and yeah. went to bed. And I was annoyed to tell Marley that I in fact was falling to sleep about a half an hour oh. earlier. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I was like, oh, she's right. You know, and That's that was good. before, you know, that was, that was really at the start of this whole, you know, my journey through improving my own sleep. You know, I recognized that sleep was important, but like, it's really hard to make behavioral adjustments to any part of your life because we get sort of fixed in these routines and habits and you can't really see another way out of it. And you feel like, no, it's not really for me, but that little change. And, and I would, what I was doing was, you know, keeping myself awake playing these sure. games instead yeah. when I didn't have that anymore, when I didn't have that distraction, there was nothing to do, but to fall asleep. Yeah. So I did find it was very effective. Yeah. And it's not, I mean, it isn't inconsequential too, like because if you're playing a game, your brain does have to be turned on a little bit, yeah. and especially okay. with the light, even if you are wearing blue light blocking glasses. Yeah. And just as a quick side note, um, one thing that I've found with the phone is I found a little music player. You remember the iPod Shuffle? Yeah. It was a little thing that you used. I still on have your, one of those. You still, yeah. <laughs> and I don't know why they stopped making them. It's probably I don't know to keep us on the on the phone to keep scrolling yeah. and buying stuff, but. So there's a company I found because I, I really wanted to go back to that because I just want to put my phone away at some point during the day. And I chose working out time to put my phone away. And I found a company that makes one that's just like the iPod Shuffle, but you can connect it to your Spotify account. Oh, so you can load awesome. up the playlist and it just clips on your gym gear and you connect the headphones. And it's, it's a company not many people know about. It's called Mighty Audio. Hmm. And I, I, people have even come up to me and asked me what it is. So for me, I know it's kind of unrelated to sleep. But for me, what that does is it teaches me that I don't always have to have my phone next to me. Yeah. Because for a lot of people, I think every hour that they're awake, it's right there. Yeah. Right. So if you can even take your workout and somehow put the phone in another room, or if you go to the gym, I actually leave it in the locker because yeah. I have um, the music thing so that the rest of the day I'm in the habit of, I don't need it right there. Yeah. So yeah. other parts of the day, I just put it in another room or if I'm working, I'll 
uh, put it on airplane mode and put it completely put it away for like two hours while I'm yeah. working. I mean, we so, don't like to we don't like to talk about the fact that it is an addiction. We are yeah. all addicted to our phones. Um, you know, if it's there, even if you think of something like, oh, I wonder if that I'm going to look it up. You know, we we are automatically programmed now to to reach for it, and you know, if you it lights up, oh, what's that? I gotta look. Oh, I got a notification. So our brains are very much addicted to that instant gratification of having the phone there. And right. you can imagine what people's response to "Can you take your phone out of your bedroom?" is. It's oh, it's my alarm clock. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay, that's a common one. Yeah, yeah very common. And people forget that you can still buy alarm clocks. Yes. Alarm will be like, "Well, there's this really revolutionary invention um, that's out there. It's called an alarm clock. Yeah. It's four dollars at IKEA, and uh, it's not connected to any technology, and it will still work if the power goes out." Yeah. Right. So, so one thing we touched on there quickly was temperature. I'd love, I'd love to hear a little bit more about temperature. Yeah. yeah. I like, I like talking about temperature as well. It's my, it's my, my personal sleep hack okay. <laughs> because I run a little warm. So, um, our bodies do need to go through a, a bit of a cooling process, um, to be able to fall asleep and stay asleep. Actually, one of the main reasons that people wake up frequently throughout the night is because the temperature in their bedroom is too warm. So recommended bedroom temperature, ambient temperature is 16 to 18.6 degrees Celsius. So everyone's a little bit different, but generally in that range. And that's quite cool for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. You know, I like to see my breath in my sleep, so I don't mind it being very cold, but there are a lot of, oh, sorry, my dog. <laughs> how he wanted, wanted to be a part of this. Yeah. But yes, you know, most people are actually sleeping in a bedroom that is far too warm. And you know, you think like 20 degrees, oh, that's comfortable for me. I feel I'd be too cold otherwise. But it is so important um, for our temperature regulation. And most people don't realize either that our body temperature, our core body temperature actually fluctuates in a 24 hour period, fluctuates by about two degrees ish. Um, to Celsius, so a couple more Fahrenheit. Um, and it, it, it's based on a kind of our, almost on our circadian rhythm. So about a half an hour before we start waking up in the morning, our body temperature starts to rise and then it'll continue to rise for most of the day. So even when you don't sleep well, that increase in core body temperature is gonna make you feel you know, a little more alert than you normally would. And that's gonna happen regardless of how you're, you're sleeping. That's just part of your body's rhythm. Then that core temperature is gonna continue to rise and then kind of plateau a little bit somewhere between two and 4 p.m. And I think we're all familiar with that time that we start to feel like, a little groggy. It's a, a low part of the day or a circadian low. Sometimes the time when you think I'm going to have that second coffee now right. as I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm exactly. a little bit. Yeah. It's the yeah. afternoon coffee time. And then it continues to rise and hits its peak between 6 and 7 p.m. So that's kind of the, the no-fly zone for sleeping. So it's really difficult to sleep in that time. And that's because our core body temperature is at its highest. Then it starts to decline for the rest of the evening. And then right as we're falling asleep, it should have the sharpest decline in our body temperature. Um, so a variation of, you know, it's slight, but over about two degrees. And it's actually that cooling um, that helps facilitate us falling asleep and then staying cool helps us stay asleep. Um, so there's a couple different ways to kind of hack our body temperature. One is exercise. So exercise actually does help with that fluctuation of the temperature, it does make a little bit steeper inclines and declines in your body. And then, you know, at 60 to 90 minutes before you go to bed at night, 
increase your circulation. So the easiest way to do that is hot bath or hot shower. What it does is it brings all our blood vessels to the surface and we can cool through our skin. So it actually just kind of pushes that whole natural process a little bit further um, to give us a natural cooling um, of our core body temperature that's gonna help us fall asleep and stay asleep. Yeah. Okay. So, so, okay. So that, that's interesting that your, your recommendation for the shower is a warm shower as opposed to a cold shower. Yeah, yes, absolutely. It's kind of counterintuitive, doesn't it? <laughs> and that's again, that big thermal dump. So like Marley said, all of our blood vessels sort of come to the surface and then it sort of allows, you know, and that's why we say about an hour and a half, hour to an hour and a half before bed, it allows a little time for all that heat to sort of come off of our body so that we're ready, we're primed, you know, at, you know, an hour later to, to doze off really fast. But like Marley said, you know, if our bedrooms are 20, 21 degrees, you're laying in bed, your body's trying to cool, but the ambient temperature is so warm that your body's sort of fighting against that. So it becomes really difficult. And that again, affects the sleep quality. So you might sleep eight hours, but it's not a good quality sleep if your room is too warm. And you can't fall asleep with cold hands or cold feet. That's kind of the caveat to having, um, you know, the warm bath and shower before bed in the cool bedroom is your hands and feet need to be warm. And that does help with a hot bath or shower because it increases our circulation and and helps um, bring the blood vessels, you know, or blood to our extremities and warm them up. Because if we are cold or our hands and feet are cold, our core temperature is basically going to stay at the same temperature because it's trying to warm up our extremities. It's not going to allow that <clears throat> that drop in temperature that's going to facilitate sleep. So warm hands, warm feet, cold bedroom. <laughs> is and, and piling more blankets on is really the answer. So people say, I'm too cold. That's too cold. You can have tons of warm blankets on you, even like a heating, you know, some people have heated blankets, but if your head is out there in the cool bedroom, you're still going to be able to lose that heat and your body's still going to be able to cool itself. So if you want to be really warm and toasty under the blankets, that's totally fine. If your ambient temperature is cool enough, we know we lose a ton of heat through our heads. Um, you know, they say if your hands and feet are cold, if your body's cold, put a hat on because it's going to warm. Okay. So, so we yeah. do lose a ton of heat through our heads. So that's enough. Even if you are piled with really warm, you know, weighted blankets, heated blankets, it's still going to be able to cool. So yeah, like this, it's really the, it's really the temperature of the room that matters. Yeah. And, yep. and uh, you know, I, I definitely, one of my goals is to have a room that's completely temperature controlled because here, you know, in Canada, it's hard because some part of the year you have to have air conditioning, then the other part it's heating. So, and then yep. sometimes there's this in-between phase because if you have like a window air conditioner, you don't have that plugged in in, yeah. the, in the spring or the fall. So it, it, there's like this weird in-between phase where your room might be a little bit warmer. So that's something I'm actually going to be setting up my window air conditioner now. And it's like still, there's still snow on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I've noticed the last few nights because it has been more mild. It's taking my, like I normally, I turn my temperature down to 16 degrees at night. Yeah. My house hasn't been cooling that fast. Yes, same. So right there in my bed, like it's too warm still. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Waiting to cool I down. accidentally like, left my heat setting on 19 last night and 19 is really just the top, you know, 18.6, the top part of that range, but it's far too warm for me. And I was disrupted all night. You know, I woke up multiple times too hot, having to take the blankets off. So even a couple degrees for me is really noticeable. Right. So, so, so there's no way, like, there's no way we're going to touch on every single no. thing that's <laughs> possible to know about sleep. But one thing I'd like to ask both of you is 
What is it that you're most passionate about in this field when it comes to sleep and teaching people about sleep and helping people improve their sleep? Is it hearing people tell you about how much they've improved their sleep based on your work that you're doing with them? Is it uh, trying to create a different narrative around sleep? Is it trying to create more education around sleep? Like what's your, what's the thing that lights you up the most about working in this field? Oh, there's a lot, there's a lot. I think like the foundational thing is it is really life-changing. Um, and it's for us, I think both of us, you know, one really important aspect is just inspiring people to take control of their health. So understanding, you know, when we can educate people so that they understand how important sleep is to their health, and then they're then empowered to sort of do the thing, do the work that they need to do to improve their sleep. It's so rewarding. It really, we always say start with sleep. So for, I mean, for me, but I I know I can speak for you on this too. The preventative powers of sleep are truly something to fall in love with as a healthcare professional. (laughs) Yeah, it really does. We always say start with sleep. If you're going to, you know, start dieting and exercise, start with your sleep first, make sure your sleep because it is foundational, it's going to make every other health initiative that we take easier and more effective. So it's so foundational. And then we get to see it, you know, not only we do get to see people heal, which is I mean, that's, that's why we get into healthcare, um, and people change their lives and their quality of life improve. But it's the prevention. You know, we start to see people are in that pre-diabetic phase. They fix their sleep. All of a sudden, their blood sugars are back to normal. You know, they're on the cusp of going on blood pressure medication, and now they're they're in a normal range. And just the prevention of chronic illness because it, we are just you know overwhelmed by it in our healthcare system. And I think we've probably talked about chronic illness and and healthcare capacities and stuff like that more than ever before in the last couple of years. But sleep really does have the power to prevent a lot of these chronic illnesses and diseases that our healthcare system's not equipped to do um, and not equipped to handle this many people. So um, it's really, for me, it's it's the power of sleep, how powerful it is and how um, surprising it is for people once they start paying attention to how it can change things for them. There's nothing more rewarding than listening to the questions that follow like an education session. So if we present to people and you can literally see even virtually people's minds being blown because, and it's so crazy that we as a society know so little about something we spend, you know, a third of our lives doing. It's so mind blowing to people and, and they're so interested and, and so we're driven to have all of the information and all of that research and and kind of always have it in our back pocket and always be updating it because it's always changing. But it's that, you know, we got into healthcare as healthcare professionals because we wanted to see people get better. We want to help people heal. And our healthcare system just doesn't do that. A lot of it is reaction, you know, reactive medicine. It's like, oh, you've got this problem. Okay, we can do this now. It's not about prevention. And and sleep really is the the prevention, you know, and like, you know, Marley said, you know, if you have, if you want to start dieting, if you want to start exercising, sleep is so important. But I think a really important thing, especially right now, considering, you know, the mental health kind of crisis that we're in, you know, in the midst of this pandemic, um, Marley and I have both over the years, you know, struggled with periods of, you know, depression and, and anxiety and, we know and understand now ourselves that when we hit those times, when we're in those darker times, that 
you know, I can't drag myself to the gym. I don't have, I don't, I can't force myself outside to walk. I just can't do it. I don't feel like I'm in the space for it, but I can focus on my sleep. I can prioritize my sleep. I can do things to improve my sleep quality. And I know just doing that is going to make me feel like I can cope with it more. I can feel like I can, you know, once I get my sleep under control, I have that ability to kind of, I can, yeah, I can take those next steps. So I just think, um, people overlook sleep at have, especially how important it is to our mental health. You know, almost every patient that I see, you know, come through the hospital now has a diagnosis of anxiety or depression or both. Um, it is chronic. It is so, it's everywhere, you know, everyone's experiencing it. And sleep is one of the quickest, most effective ways to control um, those feelings, whether or not it is a clinical issue, or if it's secondary to an event that's happening in your life, or the pandemic, you know, stress, it it doesn't matter what the source is, sleep is going to help improve it. And it's a viable target to start with, you know, sleep, a lot of people don't think they can change their sleep and we show them how they can and how they do have more control. And then they have a viable target to make these changes. Okay. If I change my sleep, because it's, it's an eight hour period of healing and our brains balancing hormones and chemicals and, um, you know, going through these natural processes that, you know, evolution has perfected and then we've messed up. (laughs) So I think that I, I think that the you know we we don't spend eight hours a day doing mu- many other things for our health, but really prioritizing sleep as a foundation is where we see the the greatest changes in people, and I'd say that's probably the most rewarding. Yeah. Right. Right. And uh, it's like it, it's as if you know your body really wants to heal. You just have to give it a chance to heal. Absolutely. I mean, we are yeah. we are programmed we have all of these processes like marley said you know there's a lot in the news right now about dementia prevention and dementia awareness um and that was a really big driver for me i lost my mother to alzheimer's disease um in 2020 and she had untreated sleep apnea for many many years um and i know now i understand now that the way the disease progresses with sleep disruption or you know sleep deprivation is so much different and so much faster and that's a real driver for me a real motivator and a real um that's a real key thing for me to to understand when i'm talking about prioritizing my own sleep as well as helping other people um you know we have a system in our body that cleans away um all of this debris and all of these you know plaques and tangles and things that develop in our brain throughout the day as we're using it just to think and just to be you know alive. Yeah, there's byproducts that happen from that. And we have a system in our body that causes our brain cells to shrink and uses our cerebral spinal fluid to wash away that gunk from our brain so that the next day they're ready to go. If you're not getting enough sleep, you're not getting the full effects of that system. You know, just like the the regulatory systems in our sleep that balance our hormones and that balance our neurotransmitters that affect our mental health and our, you know, the function of our endocrine system, the function of all of our systems in our body. If you have an injury, the healing, that only happens in sleep. So um, it's really you know, just understanding, once you understand how important it is and how foundational it is to every aspect of our health, you know, you can really, it makes it a lot easier to prioritize. It's true. Uh, I agree from, from a, even just from a sales standpoint, it's like, what do we have to say to get people to pay more attention to this? 
with something like exercise, it's like, okay, if you exercise, yeah, you'll get to be more jacked and people yeah. will like you more and you'll have bigger muscles. But really, if that's what it takes to get people exercising, then fine, right? So, but with sleep, it's like, okay, I think some people aren't even sold on the idea that they should pay attention to it. But if you explain, if we explain that, uh, you know, actually it heals your body and there's a lot going on when you sleep, it's not just about sleeping because you have to. There's yeah. a lot of positive things happening that can actually help you with your mental well-being and your physical well-being. I think it's great that that you're doing that and uh, and you have your your own uh, your own podcast as well which which is a great way to to share that uh, information with people. Yeah. So so I guess is there any is there anything that um like one one objection I'm sure you guys probably get from time to time is I don't have enough time. So is, yep. is it possible to tell, and I've heard people tell me this too, because I've had epic struggles with sleep that I have talked a lot about just with people in my uh, inner circle and stuff. And then once once I you know had the conversation with Marley, it really taught me that it is possible to actually heal naturally and actually sleep, fall asleep naturally. So I yeah. didn't know it was going to be possible. So, yeah. uh, so I guess, is there anything that you tell people that are just like, I can't do it. It's not for me. I don't have enough time. That kind of thing. Is there, any, is there anything you tell people that really object to it? We do hear that, um, especially yeah. when we were doing some corporate education. You know, we're working with executives and people that are like, oh, I only need four hours. I only have four hours to sleep. Yeah. Um, our objection to that is we come with science. So there are tons of research. There's tons of research to show that if you are prioritizing sleep, you are more effective and more productive during your awake hours. Um, it doesn't take long. And the thing about being sleep deprived is we can't tell how impaired we are because we're impaired. Yeah. So it's like, it's like alcohol, you know, oh yeah, I can drive. Um, probably can't. Yeah. <laughs> and think, oh, I'm fine. I've got enough sleep. I'm doing fine. I'm awake. Right. And so a lot of these people aren't even aware of their cognitive deficits and, and how much more productive and how much more they can accomplish if they actually do prioritize eight hours of sleep. Um, not that we all need eight hours. You know, some people function really, really well on seven hours. And that's and that's and that's great. Um but nobody is functioning well in four hours. And yeah. and, and despite many objections that not even Donald about, Trump <laughs> he seems to <laughs> brag about that a lot, but oh, we've really? seen what he can do on four hours of sleep and I'm not sold. Uh -oh. Well, so, so to dive, <laughs> yeah. So to dive into more like what you're offering. So I'd love to give people an idea about this, the services that you're offering together. What can you do for individuals? What can you do for companies? And what is your overall vision in the next coming years about how to offer people services that are struggling with sleep? Awesome. So we do do one-on-one -on -one consults like I had with you, Andrew. So um, someone that maybe doesn't have necessarily a diagnosed sleep disorder, but are looking to improve their sleep, whether it's, you know, waking up easier, just getting a better quality of sleep, how to prioritize sleep. Um, we do do consults like that. And then we also, a big part of what we do is cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. So the gold standard treatment for chronic insomnia is CBTI or cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. There is very few people that are doing this type of therapy, which leads to everyone taking the secondary choice, which is a sleeping pill. Mm -hmm. So a big part of what we do is help people get off their sleeping pills and sleep more naturally and overcome insomnia. And with 
the pandemic, we've seen a steep increase in insomnia cases. They even coined a term during the pandemic called Corona-somnia um, because it became so prevalent. So insomnia therapy is a huge part of what we do. And then we also do corporate education. So for companies that have wellness weeks or town hall meetings or anything that they want to just educate their employees, a lot of um leaders have been looking for alternative solutions to help their staff throughout this pandemic. There's been so many changes. A lot of people have, you know, even left the workforce, things like that. And sleep is, you know, supporting your employees' sleep is a really, really good way to to foster, you know, a better culture in the workplace even. So yeah. um, we just do, interpersonal we do- relationships are affected so much by a less sleep deprived workforce. At the, at the very and productivity, base. you know, productivity is kind of the side effect of it. Um, you know, they're sure. mostly just looking to support their staff, but productivity is a, a bonus um, side effect of that. And so, um, yeah, that's that's essentially yeah. what we do. Leah is also an infant and child sleep consultant. So yeah. and, and I, find, I find that a lot of people, um, a lot of people's sleep struggles do start with their kids. So their kids aren't sleeping well and they aren't sleeping well. So Marley and I find sometimes doing a, like a family consult where we talk to the parents, we talk about their children's sleep, we talk about their sleep and we kind of put the whole picture together for people. You know, this is, you know, here's some tips for, for child sleep. And a lot of that is education as well. Um, it's a lot of information that we just aren't aware of. This is all very new. Kids having access to technology constantly is very new. And sometimes people just need guidance through that process. And, you know, just to kind of piggyback on a little bit about what Marley was saying, we do do those individual sort of one hour one-on-one consults. And sometimes that looks like, you know, going through some sleep hygiene stuff and optimizing sleep environments. And sometimes that just looks like education. And sometimes it looks like, you know, what is your individual reason for coming here? Like what, you know, what are you, what motivates you? What, what are you looking to improve? Are you looking to improve your gym performance? We can sort of identify that and we can work toward that. Are you looking to just lengthen your sleep? Are you looking to reduce anxiety in the evenings? There's each consult is so different. And sometimes it's just helping people navigate the healthcare system um, from a sleep perspective. So maybe you have sleep apnea. Okay, where's the best place to go and, and get that tested and get that looked after? You know, do you need a little bit of support on, you know, using your machine or, you know, you need, you know, you're struggling with your mask fitting. Sometimes just talking people through some of those different services that are lacking a bit of guidance. So our healthcare system is extremely strained. So um, we find sometimes it's really just guidance and people are so appreciative of that guidance through that system. And recently we've worked with a lot of kids and teenagers. So we're seeing more insomnia in younger and younger people than we've ever seen before. Um, And kids don't have, there's no, you know, there is no sleeping pill that's safe to prescribe to kids. So what do parents do? Um, So we do offer consults for kids as well. And Leah is so amazing at teaching them different techniques. So these kids have tools to help themselves get to sleep now, instead of just lying awake and anxious and then growing up thinking that they're a bad sleeper. So we teach them, you know, relaxation techniques and how how to calm their system so they can get to sleep and kids are so good at that i mean they're better at meditation than us and everything else so they Probably. usually learn pretty quick yeah once they have that tool they have it for life too so yeah. um yeah. it is beneficial for kids to learn it and rather than suffer until they're an adult yeah oh for sure and and uh so i mean that's so valuable and, and what you're what you're doing is you're teaching people uh 
a lifelong skill that can help them for the rest of their life and also help everybody around them because they're just easier to be around if they've had better sleep. I know I, I, <laughs> yeah. I probably, I'm, I'm honestly like probably not the easiest person to be around first thing in the morning, but, but that's something I'm trying to get better at as well. Uh, so for people yeah. who want to, uh, I mean, to be honest with you, I, I could talk about this for another like five hours, but I, I want to be respectful of your time <laughs> yeah. and, and also make sure well, people have, part two <laughs> no, I, I was going to suggest yeah. that because I'm going to listen back to this and I have like a whole laundry list, not to get free consults from you on the, on the podcast, but uh, <laughs> I, I definitely, I definitely want to, um, to look into more of your services myself too. And so on the, on that okay. note though, like you, so you're in based in Halifax, Nova Scotia, but how can people work with you uh, remotely uh, regardless of where they are? Like it, it sounds like some of your services are remote or maybe they all are. And some of them are, are more in person with, gadgets and gizmos and stuff. So how, what can you do for people remotely versus uh, in person? Uh, so most of our services are all virtual now. We do do some okay. in-person talk organizations right now, just because things have slowly started to open up. We love seeing people in real life, but um, because we kind of founded this this idea during the, the peak of the pandemic or the beginning of the pandemic, um, we moved to virtual right away. So all of our consults are done virtually. So we have, you know, it gives people access. They don't have to find us in a clinic, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. They can reach out to us by email. We'll we'll give you our emails to, um, to, to send out. But um, yeah, everything can be done virtually now. Now, which is really convenient so you don't have to go and wait in a waiting room you can literally get sleep counseling from your couch in your living room if you want so we did want access um, to be easy for people we wanted to be able to reach as many people as we could and not just be limited to one community so we are sticking with virtual for now <laughs> yeah. okay no that's great and you can you can offer it for companies too so i'm definitely going to uh, send your information around yeah. to whoever i can think of because i was really blown awesome. away by by our, our 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 conversation that we had and what we actually figured out in a short amount of time so uh yeah. so that helped me uh was there anything else you guys wanted to, to add on uh at the end here no i don't think so but i mean we certainly would always want to chat again if you want to chat again yeah. Andrew. love to talk about sleep <laughs> and today yeah. we're recording is actually if we're allowed to say this but it's march 18th which is oh, yeah, yeah. world sleep day so Wanted to wish everyone a happy World Sleep Day. <laughs> Although this will be probably coming out later, but World Sleep Day is really important. It's a recognition of sleeping an important part of our lives. Unfortunately, we only recognize it once a year, but <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. So uh, that's awesome. And um, was there like do you do you have an email address now that you'd like to 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 tell people about? Absolutely. So um, my email address is just marley at sleepworks.com. So that's okay. M-A-R-L-E-E at sleep-works.com. Sleep yeah. And mine is Leah, L-E-A-H, at sleep-works.com. And you can reach out to us there. Um, we're kind of in the process of getting everything set up. And so you'll be mm -hmm. able to book through the website soon. Um, and we hope to see, you know, we're, we're happy to be here in Nova Scotia. We know the healthcare system needs some support. And we're happy to, you know, even if it's just two of us providing it, we're happy to kind of provide a new resource for people um, to deal with some issues that they've been having, or maybe something new that popped up over the pandemic. Um, maybe it's just that, you know, you need to chat with somebody about sleep and sort of dig through that information and kind of, you know, find out what the problem really could be. And, and we love to kind of do that investigative work with our clients. Yep. So never hesitate to send us an email. We love, we love a good sleep question. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, if anybody listening, 
uh, definitely make sure to get in touch with them. And LinkedIn too. I, I feel like we LinkedIn was the place where we connected as well. That that might work as well. Absolutely. And I'll, I'll I'll put some links in the description of um, the episode. Thank you, both of you, Marley and Leah, for coming on the podcast today. I, honestly, I feel like I could talk forever about this because we do spend a third of our lives doing this. So <laughs> it is important. I would definitely like to do a, a round two. And um, for yeah. anybody listening, make sure to get in touch and uh, talk some sleep. Talk about sleep over Zoom. And you'll be, I'm telling you, I've done this. I, I did a oh. consultation and you'll be really impressed with what you'll learn over just working with uh, Marley and Leah over Zoom uh, from anywhere, wherever you are. So uh, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having us. Thanks a lot.